in high school, we had one good friend and his grandfather played poker professionally. I just fell in love with the game. I quickly realized that I was having so much success and that $20, $40 turned into $200 every week. I played poker professionally. During COVID, when all of the casinos were shut down, all I did was study and go deep dive into real estate. I found a property that had a back unit, completely detached, its own separate entrance, and we turned that into an Airbnb property. Real estate really does work, and it replaced that mortgage payment. It gave us all the confidence to, to move forward to the next deal. 40-something properties now. We have a little over 1,200 reviews. We have 82% occupancy. We have 4.92 stars out of five. I enjoy the challenge. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Another episode of the Blue Gems podcast. Today we interview my good friend, my business partner, JB Bullock, the co-founder of Blue Gems. He's going to share with us how he went from zero to 44 units using none of his own money in just under two years. JB, welcome to the show. Thanks, brother. Not your first rodeo here. So the, the audience knows of you, but they don't really know you. Tell us your story. Yeah, I like to talk about my real estate journey all the way back in like middle school, right? I heard that famous quote that 90% of millionaires were built in real estate. And that has always stuck with me, even though I didn't get into real estate until like my, my uh, early 30s. Um, it was something that always stuck with me. I knew that I wanted to be in real estate to some capacity. I wanted to build uh, generational wealth. I wanted to leave a legacy behind. And it's more and more important in my life now because I have a almost six month old daughter and I'm really, really trying to put, um, you know, things into motion to build that future. But yeah, started back in when I heard that quote and uh, during COVID, when all of the casinos were shut down, so I played poker professionally, once they all shut down, I really had no way to make any revenue or income. It gave me permission and the opportunity to kind of study and go, you know, deep dive into real estate. So I started listening to Bigger Pockets. I started listening to other podcasts, listened to all or um, watched a bunch of YouTube videos, and I read every single book that I could get my hands on. So you got into real estate during COVID. Very interesting time to get into real estate, by the way, the industry overall. What made you pick short-term rentals out of all the different things that you can do within real estate? Yeah, I would say we were familiar with the asset class just because we traveled frequently and we chose to stay at, at Airbnbs. But also I realized that long-term rentals paying $100, $200 every single month wasn't gonna be able to build that much cash flow today, right? But I saw some people making you know, five, 10 grand with two or three properties in short-term rentals. So I was like, well, if we could get 10 properties making $1,000, that's another 10 grand. That could really boost the cash flow and allow us to, to kind of grow our portfolio that way. And then how long did it take you to do that first deal? I think a lot of investors get caught in that analysis paralysis. So from the time that you learned about real estate overall, how long till that first deal? Yeah, no, good question. So I, I think for about a good year, all I did was study. I was just a student of the game. Um, and, and I mean, I really, really tried to absorb as much information. So if I was driving to the gym, I had bigger pockets on. If I had downtime, I was reading a book. Um, and, and during COVID, when, we, when, when the whole world had so much time, I really utilized that to just be a student. So I would say a good year before I really pulled the trigger or even felt confident to make an offer or start underwriting or looking at deals at all. 
And then tell us about that first deal. So how did it go? Were you nervous at all going into it? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's one thing to hear Brandon Turner and David Green talk about how to do deals and hear other people talk about doing deals, but making that first offer is still going to be nerve wracking. Right. But I thought in, at least in my mind, if I didn't pull the trigger in real estate, it was even more risky than kind of sitting on the sidelines. So that gave me peace of mind. Got it. And then, so that first deal, how did you actually get into that one? Yeah, so I locked up uh, FHA loan, right? So it allows me to only put down three and a half percent. You can go the conventional route and, you know, put down three percent or even five percent. But um, at the time, qualified for FHA loan, three and a half percent down. Um, I found a property that had a back unit, um, de completely detached, its own separate entrance. And we turned that into an Airbnb property that brought in enough revenue that paid our entire mortgage and utilities and all our expenses. So we were in theory, just living completely for free. And that was the main goal. So that strategy is called house hacking. If anyone's just starting out, um, it's pretty strong and you can do it up to four units. So you could buy a fourplex, live in one unit, rent out the other three on Airbnb and make pretty good cash flow. And then how important was that first deal, you know, catapulting your, your real estate career? from that point it on. It gave us proof of concept and it eliminated the biggest cost that any person has, usually your expenses for living, right? So whether you're renting or whether you have a mortgage, eliminating that automatically and adding that proof of concept that real estate really does work and it replaced that mortgage payment, it gave us all the confidence to, to move forward to the next deal. And then rewinding, right? So before you got into real estate, you mentioned that you were playing poker professionally. Talk to us about that part of your story and how did it contribute to your skill set in the real estate industry today? Yes. So I had an example in high school and I think this is really important, right? Um, if, if I wanted to be a professor, there's a good chance that I probably had someone that was a professor in my life to kind of show by example of why I would want to have that type of life, right? Um, if I had someone that was a football player, which I, I was surrounded by a lot of people that played football or played sports, I would have that person as a, an example in my life. Well, in high school, we had one good friend and his grandfather played uh, poker professionally. Um, he taught Kyle, the Kyle taught us how to play and I just fell in love with the game. Um, it's really predicated around um, uh, analytics and, and uh, statistics and probability. So I really like that about the game, right? I, I know that I could approach it from a mathematical standpoint and the other eight players could make more mistakes than I, than I could, right? As long as I removed emotions, I could probably have some success. So fell in love with the game in high school um, and then in college, I got a full ride scholarship to play football at a small school in Texas. But one of the caveats to having this full ride scholarship was that the athletes weren't allowed to have a, a job. They really wanted you to either focus on school and books or they wanted you to be, you know, focused on sports, whether it's studying, um, you know, practicing, lifting weights, whatever. And that made it really challenging f for me to even go out to, you know, take my girlfriend on a date or eat Chipotle on the weekends, right? <laughs> it was really, really difficult. So I resulted to play poker online. At the time, it was pretty um, pretty popular online. I played, you know, little small sit and go tournaments. And I, my goal was just to make like 20 to $40 every week so that I could go out on the weekends. Um, but really I, I quickly realized that I was having so much success and that 20, $40 turned into a hundred dollars every week, 
Wow. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. $200 every week. And as a college student, me making a, an extra $200 a week, I was like, wait, this is kind of you know decent money. I have, I have more than I need now. And I was like, well, I wonder if I went all in on just studying poker, like I'm, you know, I was in school for business. What if instead of me spending all this time studying for business, what if I just studied the game of poker? Could I make a cool lifestyle? And at the time, there was a lot of people that were having success as a full-time professional poker player. And I really liked the idea of that lifestyle, right? I wanted flexibility. I didn't want a boss. I didn't want someone telling me what to wear, when to clock in, when to eat, when to take vacation. I wanted to be my own boss. This really gave me that opportunity. And it was cool because anywhere in the country that had a casino, I could go and play poker. So if it was in um, Tampa, Florida, if it was in Las Vegas, if it was in Oklahoma, it really didn't matter where it was. If they had a casino and they had poker, I could go stay for a week, two weeks, three weeks and enjoy vacation also while playing poker. The casino was your office. Love that. So we mentioned at the intro, 44 units today, roughly that number's changing, you know, every single week for us. But talk to us a little bit about going from zero to one, right? We talked about that first deal. And then from one to 44, how did you start to scale from that point on? Yeah. So before you were even involved, right? It was just Julie and I, my wife and I, and she, I would, I would bring the deals in and she would be the actual operator. So she was talking to the guests. She was coordinating the cleaning, uh, the handyman, making sure the property's maintained. She was really the one that was making sure that the operations were taken care of. Once we got to eight properties, I think that's when we met. Right. And it was like, hey, um, my wife is really tapped out. It's starting to be, um, you know, uh, a business endeavor that we're not enjoying anymore. You know, we need to really build systems out. We need to start delegating. We need to hire a team. We need to train the team. And um, so I think right around eight, we added one virtual assistant. Uh, from there, we started delegating a lot of the mundane tasks, um, you know, doing little small tasks here and there, ordering the inventory, started off small, eventually started off, uh, offloading like even guest communication. And um, now today we have seven virtual assistants, one operations manager full-time uh, salary here stateside, and then also a maintenance coordinator stateside that works full-time on salary as well. So our team is pretty robust. And for the most part, I would say, you know, 98% of all of it is delegated to the team. And then Julie is kind of the CEO. She makes sure everything is functioning well. Um, you're still involved to some capacity on the financial side of things, making sure that we're hitting KPIs, uh, making sure that um, the business is functioning, uh, you know, well. And then I'm, I'm really removed I, outside of, um, I'm still taking some sales calls but we're trying to outsource that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if, if you really want to scale a portfolio in the short-term rental world, you have to get really good at interviewing. You have to get good at hiring. You have to get, get good at building systems and processes and documenting everything. That way you can delegate it to the team because 
it's going to be a nightmare. Um, you will be glued to your phone. You will, you know, even, even if you're not really spending a lot of hours, let's say if you spend, you know, 15 hours a week in this business, you don't have control over those 15 hours, right? So if I sit down with my wife for dinner and we, you know, she's been making this awesome, you know, whatever dish, and we finally sit down and if there's an AC issue and you don't have a team or systems in place, it's going to be really hard to enjoy that meal. Someone has to be removed and, and take care of that problem. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, because it almost becomes a completely different skill set. So like from zero to eight, you're, you're talking about guest experience, getting good reviews, maybe managing cleaners. But then when you move into the CEO role, we're talking about hiring, building a team, building out systems, really a lot different than the hospitality industry. So you got that first house hack, right? How did you get deals number two through eight, right? Before I came into the picture. Yeah, so deal number two was actually arbitrage. Basically, I talked to a landlord, got his permission. Um, I paid him market rent and everything that I made above market rent and what I received on Airbnb, I got to keep with his permission, right? So I was able to sublease his property. I had to fully furnish it. Uh, that was deal number two. That again, gave us proof of concept. Now we have our house hack, we have this arbitrage property and they're both doing really well. At that point in time, my wife and I are like, are we good operators? Do we know what we're doing? Or did we just get lucky with these two? Um, the, the, the next deal we purchased and we found a capital partner. Um, they secured the mortgage in their name. They put down the down payment. We found the deal and we, did all of the operations. We split all of the profits, uh, the equity, the expenses, everything straight down the middle 50-50. And we did that from deal three through seven, I believe, or three three through eight. Deal three through eight. So, so how important is it to get good at raising private capital and, and being able to get into partnerships for someone that wants to scale? Yeah, and that's the, the key, right? If, you, if you're not looking to scale, it's probably not that important, right? You right. could buy, maybe you can save up, you buy a deal every single year, you can still build a lot of wealth. You know, 20 years from now, your portfolio is gonna you know, appreciate in value, you'll have plenty of cash flow. Not a bad life. Not a bad <laughs> life, right? But if you're looking to scale, think about it from a conceptual standpoint, right? Even if we were making, you know, let's say we were able to save $300,000 every single year, right? We could probably only buy three deals. Right. You know, and then we would be tapped out before we would have to wait and save up money again to be able to buy another deal. So it's extremely important to build these relationships with capital partners or private money lenders where we can consistently, when we receive deals, we can actually execute and purchase them and take them down and scale accordingly. And that's becoming even more um, relevant in our business because we're getting a lot more deal flow. The deals are getting even more attractive and favorable in our terms. And right now we predominantly only buy creatively, right? So we're, we're taking down deals that are subject to seller finance, uh, you know, seller carry, some component of, of uh, creative finance. And to be effective and actually be able to execute on those, we really need partners um, because our funds would run out and we wouldn't be able to take down as many properties as we'd like. So for someone listening who's like, hey, I want to scale, right? I don't want to buy only two properties a year. It doesn't sound attractive to me. How do they go about getting good at raising private capital? I think for, for private capital, in my personal experience, I can't speak for you know the, the general public. My personal experience, 
we've been able to be successful raising private capital because um, of the relationships that we built, right? Um, generally speaking, the, the person that's lending us the money is lending based on our reputation, based on our character, based on the relationship that we've been able to cultivate. They're trusting us and they're almost investing us in, in us as the operator irrespective of the deal. Now the deal mm. is still important. They're still underwriting, making sure that it's attractive. But I would say that you know a big portion of why they're choosing us and lending us is because of the relationship that we've been able to build. And then also we have a good track record now, right? We, we, like you said, we have 44, 40 something properties now. We can really show that we've been able to have success. And I think to, to share a little bit of more context is, you know, we have a little over 1200 reviews we have 82% occupancy, we have 4.92 stars out of five, right? So we've been able to hold that level of customer service, hospitality, quality in reviews, even though we've been able to scale. And even if I removed myself out of the equation and I was an outsider looking in, that would be something that I would be attract, uh, attracted to if I was looking to lend my money to someone in the short-term rental world, right? Okay, cool, you guys have a, a proven track record. I uh, vibe with your goals and your morals and ethics and where you're trying to go to, I feel like my, my money would be safe and secure with you guys. And if you think about it from a private money lending standpoint or a lender in general, they really care way more. The priority is that their money is safe, more so than the returns they're making. Right. Right. Now, both are important. I'm just saying from a priority standpoint, and, and, and here I'll give you an example. Would you rather invest your money, let's say you're gonna invest $100,000, and I'm gonna give you 10% return, but I have 50 years of experience, and here's all that we've been able to accomplish. Or you go with this brand new person, right? They've only been in business for four months, and they're gonna offer you 15% return, but this is their first deal. Even though it's a bigger return, your money is gonna definitely be secure right. when you're comparing it to this other option, right? So. I think it's getting even easier for us to raise private capital because of the relationship, because of the reputation, and because of the past experience. But if you're just starting out, I would really lean on maybe your sphere of influence, right? Maybe you already have some trusted friends, family, um, you know, coworkers that already know your character, right? So that's the first objection that you don't have to overcome, right? You already built this relationship. They know that you're an honest person and that's security in itself. So we talked about properties two to eight, right? And you, you went the route of uh, partnerships to scale. But what's interesting is that you also did a partnership when entering into Blue Gems, which is what took us from eight to 44. So, so talk to us about that transition from you and Julie into Blue Gems. It really came down to finding someone that had a complementary skill set to us, right? So I'm very much... On the visionary side, I have decent ideas. I'm very ambitious. I want to really shoot for the stars. But that vision and those goals aren't going to come to fruition unless I have a strong integrator, someone that's actually implementing structure into those ideas, right? Because if it was just me, I would just have a bunch of really good ideas and nothing would come to fruition, right? So someone like you, where you're like, hey, cool, I understand that, here's how we actually build it, Here how, here's how it's going to come to life, here's what we need to make it effective, right? Um, so 
it would not make a lot of sense for me to partner with another visionary. There's probably going to be a lot of budding heads and no one's going to be the one that's actually integrating these ideas. Right. So I think um, anyone that's really looking to scale in a business, it's important to not feel like you have to wear every single hat. It doesn't make a lot of sense to be really good at every single thing in our business. Right. So it wouldn't make sense for me to be the sales guy, to be the finance guy, to be the operator, to be the cleaning company, to be to be the, the handyman. Right. I would outsource that to the appropriate par party, right? And that goes to a partner as well. And um, it's just it's just super important in any business, you know, irrespective of short-term rentals. So when someone is looking for a partner, I would just really, really understand what they're good at and vice versa, and see if you guys can, um, you know, grow something special outside of your your own skill set. Because we would be capped if, if, if it was just right. you or if it was just me, right? We, we can build something that would be 10x better together. So I guess for the, for the audience listening, right, how do they actually know whether or not they're a visionary or integrator? Because it sounds like that might be the first step to building that unique partnership. Yeah, there's an incredible book called Rocket Fuel, and it really breaks down the traits and the characteristics of a visionary and someone that's an integrator quickly you will realize who you are and what you need so check out that book um it'll explain everything that you would need around visionary and integrator and then you're 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 newer into the content game right we're, we're newbies in, in in that sense but how important has it been at least so far to be building your personal brand for blue gems but then also for jb man content in itself um i'm not good at it um, I, I, at this point in time, it's not enjoyable because I'm not good at it. So it's a little frustrating, um, but I enjoy the challenge. So there, there is a balancing act right there. I think it's, it's like anything though. I shouldn't expect to be good at it. I'm just starting out. Um, but I know it's a necessary evil in our business, right? Um, if we're not talking more about what we offer, how are clients going to be able to find our services? So um, it's just another marketing channel. Um, it, it, and, um, if we're really looking to scale, I think it's, it's a necessary, necessary evil, hundred percent. Yeah. I think the biggest, the biggest factor is just reputation, right? So I think the more we can get a larger audience to trust us, the more success that we're going to have. So pivoting just a bit, right? So how do you balance everything that you're doing in business and real estate with your personal life? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I have to add it to my calendar and block it off. I really have to block it off. So, you know, the weekends really belong to my daughter and my wife. Um, so Saturday, Sunday is pretty structured around just spending not only time with them, but, but being present during that time. Right. Um, and then we always have dinner together every single day, no matter what. Um, and uh, the cool thing is, you know, like I had a, a really deep and in interesting conversation with my wife around what society expects a marriage to look like. Right. And they say, hey, you know, you have to be very uh, mindful if you become business partners with your spouse, because 
If you're not in control of that relationship, we are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. You will end up migrating to just becoming business partners and there won't be a relationship. You will lose your lover. You will lose your wife or or husband or whatnot. And we addressed that thought up front. Like, okay, because if we are sitting down for date night and we end up talking about business, is that bad? It is bad to society. Right. But it's something that is really important to her and I at this given season of our life. And we understand why it's important. It's important to be free. It's important to be an example to our daughter. It's important to leave a legacy and allow our daughter to have a better life than we were, right? That, than we had. And we, we kind of start to debunk what society says. And we understand that um, we enjoy business. We enjoy growing our own thing. And if it does take up all of our conversations right now, we're, we're both okay with that, you know? Um, so, so right now we're just enjoying the ride and, and it's a season in our life that's very different. Um, and uh, yeah, man, it's, it's just been a blast. I think cultivating a calendar that is structured around, hey, these are business days, this is blocked off for family time is, uh, has been a big win for, for, for me personally. No, I love, I love how you completely reframed the societal norm of having your wife as a business partner. Really, really, really incredible. So what do you think has been the biggest factor of your success overall, right? So $10 million real estate portfolio, success in poker, success in football, college, what do you think has been the biggest factor? I mean, it's not even going to sound cool, but I just, I just take action. I take action way before I know what I'm doing. I take action. Imperfect action. (laughs) Imperfect action. And I just learn from my mistakes over and over again. Um, I don't quit or give up. I love real estate for that, that, uh, that reason, right? Real estate is extremely forgiving. If I make a mistake today and I lose 30 grand, the cool thing is if I just hold that property for the next 20 years, probably going to be profitable. Um, so I just simply take action, um, learn from those mistakes, uh, stay consistent. And the way that I view it is, um, you know, if I was playing uh, baseball and I continue to get on base and continue to get on base, um, I'm going to eventually start scoring runs, you know. Um, instead of me being on the sideline, not even taking a bat, not even joining the team, not even trying out, right? At least I'm in the game. Uh, even if I'm not hitting home runs, I'm getting on base. I'm contributing to the team. I'm uh, making progress. Um, and yeah, just continue to take action. I'm not fearful of, of messing up or making a mistake. Um, I'm fearful of staying static and um, going backwards, right? If I, if I fast forward 10 years from now or five years from now and I'm the same person, whether that be business or um, emotionally or spiritually or a 
the same husband or the same type of, of, of father, I'm, I'm very fearful of that. I think one thing that you've also done very well as a business partner, but throughout your real estate journey, you just extend your time horizon of like, hey, you know, we're, we might not be successful now in 2023, 2024 by someone else's definition, but if we extend that time horizon, if we keep going, if we're in the game for the long haul, we're gonna win. And so I think the beautiful thing about real estate is just time in the game. 100%. And I mean, you, you hear that, that uh, quote around stocks, right? Um, time in the game beats timing the game, the market, right? right? Or time in the market, right? Um, and, and that's all it is for real estate too, you know? So, I mean, there's four ways that you make money in real estate. And, you know, you make money from tax depreciation, from long-term appreciation, from the loan pay down and from cash flow. And I think a lot of people get into real estate because of the cash flow, but in our eyes, it is in last place in terms of priority. Um, we call cash flow our sushi money, right? It's just like a cherry on top. It sweetens the deal. But the other three things is what's really building the wealth, right? Um, so in the last three years, we haven't paid taxes, obviously legally, but through you know all of these tax breaks that we, we get to benefit from through being real estate investors. Um, the, the appreciation, if we held a, a $10 million portfolio and it appreciates by three, 4% every single year, that is three to $400,000 every single year in theory that our properties are just appreciating in value. If you hold that for the next 30 years without doing anything else, you're gonna be pretty wealthy, you know? So um, yeah, just continue to stay in the game. Um, don't be too risky to where you would make a detrimental mistake that would kick you out of the game. And, um, you know, just stay on base, stay in the game. That's, that's what we're trying to accomplish. I love that. So closing out the show, what, what are your top goals when it comes to short-term rentals into 2024 and beyond? What do you hope to really accomplish before you exit the short-term rental industry? I want to share all of our mistakes with people that are interested in this asset class. And I'm like dead serious about that goal. And I think that's why the podcast started. That's why we have a monthly meetup every single month. That's why we have a, a thriving Facebook group. And that's why we have a community, a private community, irrespective of this Facebook group, where we share all of our mistakes because why would I hoard that information? Why would I keep it to myself when I can just say, hey, X, Y, Z, this is what I did. I lost 20 grand with this mistake. <laughs> this is how I did it instead moving forward. I hope that you can learn from that mistake and not lose 20 grand just like I did, right? And so I'm really bullish on that idea. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna stay in short-term rentals forever, so it's important for me to, all of the things that I've learned, all of the mistakes that I've made, to share it with the next person that's getting into this asset class. Um, that is probably my number one fo focus um, before I exit at, at some capacity, right? Um, two, I want to continue to be a, a strong operator. I want to give Airbnb or short-term rentals a good name, right? There's some bad publicity out there. And 
It's the, the operators that don't care. The operators that are in it just for the money and the level of effort isn't matching um, you know, the level of service that, that the guests deserve, right? Or even the owners, if you're co-hosting or managing someone's property, they deserve a, a level of customer service and, and hospitality, same for the guests that stay in your property. Um, and then I wanna continue to uh, build what we've, we've started with, with the management, with the portfolio, and I want to continue to delegate accordingly. The, the more that I can fire myself and get out of the way of the company's growth, there's everybody that's on our team right now does their job significantly better than I would do their job, right? So it's important for me to get out of the way, fire myself, and uh, you know, allow them to, to do incredible work. I mean, they, they've really been an incredible team. We, we like to call them um, you know, VPs instead of VAs, so virtual partners. They are a partner. They're a part of this goal. Um, so just continuing to, to grow it and, and, and do a good job and, and care about hospitality. I think people get into short-term rentals and they quote-unquote know that it's real estate or that it's compared to real estate, but they lose the essence of hospitality or customer service. Yeah, a couple follow-ups on that. I think number one, the point about the bad operators, what's interesting is that in 2023, what we're starting to see is that they're kind of weeding themselves out. The people whose calendars are not booked and not performing well, they really just don't care. So it's almost like the asset class is maturing towards people like yourself who truly do care about the industry. That's the first point. And then, you know, moving on to the second point of delegating yourself out of the company, what do, what do you actually do then, JB, going forward if you're firing yourself from everything that you're doing now? Yeah, I'm going to be working on um, building the brand, right? right? That's going to be something that probably can't outsource. You know, I can't get someone to, to continue to build the brand. So building the brand, um, working on strategic partnerships, right? So like things that not going to just move the needle one step, but how can I move the needle 1,000 steps, right? So higher leverage relationships is something that's important to me right now. Um, and then just making uh, decisions on the trajectory of where we're going, right? Uh, we have a couple of other businesses too, so um, I'm, I'm spending some time um, with, with those businesses as well. But yeah, just trying to make some of the harder decisions in our business the things that's going to generate the most revenue for us. Love that. And then final question of the show. What legacy, if any, do you want to leave behind in this industry and beyond? As long as my wife and daughter is, is proud of me and taken care of, that suffices for me, right? Um, I'll, I'll start there. But in terms of like, a legacy beyond that, I really do want to make an impact. Um, and, and I like to think about it like this, right? There's going to be a time where me making another million dollars is not going to excite me. It's not going to change my life. It's not going to make me jump out of bed. It's not going to impact me anymore. But if I can help someone make their first million dollars, or retire from their W-2 that they hate, or take extra vacation times with their, their kids, 
that is something I'm super passionate about. That's something that will keep me waking up and excited and keep me smiling. And um, so I just want to make an impact. I want to be able to give back. Um, one of the first things that my wife and I talked about when we first met 13 years ago, uh, we both wanted to go to countries that are not as well off as we are and help them get clean water and shelter and really be able to give back and do it with my bare hands. I want to be able to build some stuff and get my, my knees dirty and really be able to give back um, to the world and make it a better place than whenever I first got here on this planet, right? So leaving a better footprint. Um, so impact, philanthropy, um, and then, you know, personal goals. I want to travel as often as I've as I, as I as I possibly can, um, I want to be able to show my wife and my daughter the the world, and experience um, different cultures and um, different foods and religions and languages, and I just want to be free and present in those moments. Man, what an episode! I appreciate you. I know the audience appreciates you. We are excited to be putting our stories out there doing more episodes with just you and I, no guests on the show. So thanks to all of the listeners and Aiden and JB signing off. Thank you, brother. Peace.